0: Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala And we seek blessings upon the Prophet, peace be upon him Continuing the study of Qur'an, we are now on Surah Al-Fatiha, ayah number 4 Okay
1: Master renders Malik, which can also mean owner It is also sometimes read oh, yeah. did I read the first one wrong?
0: So, so the first one would be Malik versus Malik Okay and so Malik can mean king, and so both of those are variant readings of the same word, and and both of those are correct.
1: Can I imagine in Arabic they're spelled the same?
0: Spell the same, uh, except for the voweling, meaning it'll be mim lam kaf, but the voweling of Malik will have a uh, will have an alif along with it. Hmm. Yeah.
1: So it is also sometimes read Malik, meaning king or sovereign, and both variants can be traced to the prophet. Mm-hmm. Malik king is understood to be more intensive than Malik master, since every king is a master, but not every master is a king.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Though others maintain that Malik is more comprehensive, since it indicates God's power of disposal disposal over all things. That God is master of the day of judgment indicates that he alone has sovereignty over the day of reckoning, and that all those who seek to contend with his absolute sovereignty will be brought low on that day, as in Surah 40, verse 16, where it is described as the day when they come forth with not concerning them hidden from God. Mm -hmm. Whose is the sovereignty this day? It is God's, the one, the paramount.
0: So the way to to understand this is that okay, God is the master of everything, but on the day of judgment, he will be uh, unanimously recognized as the master of everything. So right now in our world, many people do not recognize God as the master of anything. And so... In on the Day of Judgment, he will be the undisputed master.
1: Um, In this regard, the prophet is reported to have said, On the Day of Judgment, God will grasp the earth, fold up the sky with his right hand, and proclaim, I am the king. Where are the kings of the earth? Where are the tyrants?
0: Mm -hmm. So all the people who have ever claimed power, Allah Ta'ala will challenge them all.
1: I have a question, but I'm not sure how to articulate it. In the sense of, because this, this makes me think, think about politics and how, especially in regards to Muslims in America, not many Muslims um, seek political power or, or learning about politics. And in times in the community, it, it can be seen as a, a sort of black mark on one's reputation if you try to pursue politics.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, I'd say that's true for Islam in America. Right. But Muslim-majority countries, it's Muslim rulers over Muslim populations. Right. And so there, it's part of the daily life. Right. In the past, uh, in the pre-modern era, Muslim rulers were often given some sort of language of divine sanction, like the Khalifa was often called the shadow of God on earth. And so... So, yeah, that type of language was much more prominent in the past. But
1: so, at least among the Muslim American community, is, is political pursuit seen as negative?
0: Um, I think political ambition is considered to be negative, but usually, anytime there's a Muslim running for office, we often rally behind that person. You know.
1: um, the Day of Judgment is the day on which the account of jinn and human beings comes due. That God is master of this day alludes to the inevitability of the meeting with God, since all are returning to Him. Judgment renders "deen," which is etymolo- etym- etymologically
0: yeah etymologically <laughs> thank
1: you related to obedience and to custom, way or affair. It is, however, most often rendered religion. "Deen" is also closely related to the word "debt." "Deen" found in Surah 2 verse 282 when you contract a debt Dane with one another for a term appointed write it down al well, Dane refers to a debt deen refers to the repayment of our debt to Allah and Allah is also known as Al-Dayyan meaning the one who repays The day of deen can thus be understood as the day of the acquittal and reckoning for actions performed in this world as in Surah 25 verse Surah 24 verse 25 on that day God will pay Pay them their just due in full. And forty seventeen. On that day every soul shall be recompensed for that which it has earned. Mm-hmm.
0: So another way to look at the day of judgment is usually we think of it, primarily we usually think of it as a day of judgment. And another way to frame it is a day of balancing all the accounting. Uh, anything that I owe you because of wrong that I've done to you, I will pay back. And anything you owe me because of wrong you've done to me, uh you, um you will pay back and then any good that i've done god will pay and so all of the books will get completely balanced on that day thus the day of recompense so.
1: this day is also also referred to as the day of reckoning since all of one's good and bad deeds will be weighed and one will be taken to account for all that has transpired during the life of this world as in 7 8 through 9 and the weighing on that day is true so those who balance whose balance is heavy It is they who shall prosper, and as for those whose balance is light, it is they who have ruined their souls by having treated our signs wrongfully. Mm -hmm. Given the importance and finality of this accounting, when asked who is the most intelligent of believers, the Prophet replied, the most frequent in recalling death, and the best prepared for what follows it. They are the most intelligent. Following upon the Prophet's advice, the second caliph, Omar ibn al-Khattab, is reported to have said, bring yourself to account before... You are brought to account and weigh your deeds before your deeds are weighed.
0: Yeah, so a couple of points here. Um going back to the previous page, you know, as for those uh who whose balance is like, it is they who have ruined their souls. Um and so when I am doing something wrong to someone else, I'm actually committing oppression against myself. Right? That if I am doing something wrong to you. How am I oppressing myself? Because I'm going to have to pay you back. Which means I'm going to be cutting away from my good that has been saved up. So I'm actually wronging myself in terms of the big picture. And thus, uh, what is the most intelligent way to approach things? To have conscious, uh, constant recollection of death and then prepare for what what is coming on the other side. right? That will help keep my priorities straight in terms of what's important, what's not important. Okay, continue.
1: From one perspective, in the progression of divine names from Allah to Arahman, rahman and al-Malik, uh, there is a descent from the highest level of the divine essence down to those levels that are in direct relation to the created order. Ar-Rahman denoting the general mercy that encompasses all things, and Ar-Rahim, denoting the particular mercy that God bestows upon those whom He chooses. Then God's function as al Malik or a Malik, yeah. uh, the difference is so slight, mm-hmm. uh, pertains to His management that all affairs in the created order.
0: Mm-hmm. So. So, the key point for our purposes, again, is that the, def, a default attribute of Allah, through which we look at all the attributes, would be Rahman, that he is the one who gives mercy to everyone, and then within that Malik or Malik, his king or master, would mean that okay, he's the one who is running the whole universe, and he's the one who owns all, okay. which I think is easy to understand.
1: It is, in a sense, a lower divine name because the existence of an other is necessary for this aspect of God to become fully manifest. Thus, like the name Arahim, it pertains to the divine acts in this sense. The progression of names in verses 1 through 4 reflects the descent of the created order from the divine principle. The second half of a Fatiha then pertains to the ascent from the created order back to the divine principle.
0: Okay, so now let's look at ayah 5. What does it say?
1: In verse 5 begins the direct address of Allah in the second person, a marked change from the praise and description of God in verse 1 through 4.
0: So the first part is praise be to Allah, so it's third person. And then and that then it becomes you alone, we worship you alone. We ask for help. So the address changes. Uh, it's still fair to say that the speaker from start to finish is still you, the reader. Um, that I'm saying, you know, alhamdulillah, I'm, I'm expressing praise and gratitude to Allah, even though my language is in third person, I'm still speaking to God. And And then from there, you alone, we worship you alone, we ask for help. So here he's basically saying the address changes, but I don't know that the speaker changes.
1: Human beings speak here in the first person plural, hence not only as individuals but also as decisions of God, supplicating Allah on behalf of all creation. To speak to Allah in the first person plural rather than the singular also implies humility before the divine, both because one is not focused solely upon oneself and because one acknowledges that ultimately only Allah has the right to say I.
0: Yeah, so that's more of a an abstract metaphysical concept that okay, only Allah has the right to say I. Yeah, that's fair. In the presence of Allah, only Allah has the right to say I. But, um, I mean, there's many du'as when someone is speaking to Allah and they're speaking to themse- about themselves in the first person. You know, like, Zakaria asks Allah, how am I supposed to have a son? How am I going to have a son if, you know, my wife is old and barren? Where Maryam <laughs> asks uh, Allah, or asks the angel... You know, you know, how am I going to have a son uh, even though I've never been with a man? So, from like a supreme metaphysical context, uh, yeah, sure, only Allah Ta'ala has the authority to, to use I. Yeah.
1: We worship renders the verb na- na-budu. na'budu, which also indicates servitude, obedience, and adoration. The first phrase thus indicates standing before Allah as a humble, adoring servant or as a slave, abd. The state that In reality, all created beings are in before Allah. As in 1993, there is none in the heavens and on the earth, but that it comes unto the compassionate as a servant. In the context of the previous verses, which recognize that Allah is Lord of the world, or all space, the master of all time, this verse recognizes the state of complete servitude before Allah, as reflected by the construction of the sentence in which the direct object is placed before the verb.
0: So, what do you think about this point? Uh, There is none in the heavens and the earth except that it comes to Ar rahman as a servant. So what we're saying is that everything in creation is a servant of Allah, which then means that people who don't believe Allah exists are also servants of Allah. How do we make sense of that? Because they are still fulfilling the divine plan. So they are still doing what Allah has designed them to do.
1: Does well that gets into questions of free will and predestination, doesn't it? Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And so, yeah, at one level, everything is a servant of Allah, including those things that are uh, in their consciousness in rebellion against Allah. Yeah, but in terms of their actions, they are fulfilling the divine will. Mm
1: -hmm. Okay. Addressing Allah in the second person rather than the third person indicates a direct. I-thou relationship in which Allah is worshipped as one who is present before the worshipper and whom the worshipper thus addresses directly.
0: Okay, so this is something i also to think about. When you're in worship, think about the fact that uh, your dua, even before it leaves your tongue, it reaches Allah. Right? So Allah Ta'ala is absolutely present right before you. So.
1: A privilege given in Islam to all human beings who are not in need of a distinct priestly class to function as intermediaries between human beings and Allah. Correspondingly, worshipers should be fully present before their lord. Their attention should not be divided between Allah and something else, either openly as an idol worship or secretly as in the case of those who worship Allah, distracted by thoughts and subjective desires or intent upon personal reward. Rather, one should worship Allah devoting religion entirely to him. In this vein, Jafar al Sadiq.
0: Yeah, Jafar al Sadiq.
1: Jafar al Sadiq is reported to have said, Worship is of three kinds. Some people worship Allah out of fear, and that is the worship of slaves. Other people worship Allah seeking reward, and that is the worship of hirelings. Meaning an employee. Right. And some people worship Allah out of love, and that is the worship of those who are free, and that is the most excellent worship.
0: Okay, so the other two worships are okay. Out of fear and out of hope, that's fine. But the best is to do it out of love.
1: I was actually speaking to an international student the other day, who a Muslim, who said, asked, asked me just in general what I thought of the MSA here, and I, I said, I, said I, I don't know what answer you're trying to, um, in what regard, <laughs> and she said, I just feel like you all practice a very American Islam. Hmm.
0: That's interesting. And
1: in talking about it further, I, I asked her how, how or why. She said everyone's always talking about love, like Allah loves us. We don't say that in my country. <laughs> That's
0: funny. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, going on. Uh, true worship or servitude, ibadah, is understood by some to constitute the greatest degree of humility and self-effacement before Allah, which is necessary in order to recognize one's complete reliance upon him, since mm-hmm. Allah is the rich and you are the poor.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so, putting both of these together at one level, we are in complete obedience to Allah or seeking to be. And then the other, we are in complete vulnerability and reliance on Allah. Vulnerability before and reliance upon, uh, upon him. Yeah, and that sums up uh, even the answer to many, many philosophical questions, like the question of why. Well, this is how he set up the system. And we have no power otherwise. Like why he set it up so that we have to live on earth and not go straight to paradise or something, because he set up the system this way, and we have no power to make it otherwise.
1: The expression of servitude necessarily precedes the statement that one seeks help from Allah, since one does not seek help from a king without first acknowledging the king's power and sovereignty. The request for Allah's help can thus be seen as a, as a request for further aid in worshipping and serving him and in all
0: of one's affairs. Okay, so... So this will be a segue into the next ayah, but what are we saying that ultimately, what am I asking help for? I'm asking help for, um, for becoming a better servant of Allah. So this is not the same as me asking for help in changing my tire or help in a homework assignment. That is also included, but the real help where only Allah can give it to me is guidance.
1: A request founded upon the acknowledgement that one is never independent of Allah, and that it is only through his assistance that one can worship him, not through one's own power and strength. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, let's keep going on ayah 6. Do you have time? Oh, yeah, we'll have to stop right here. <laughs> okay, so next time, inshallah, we'll start with ayah 6. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu wa la <laughs> ilaha illa anta, nastagfiruka wa natubu ilayk wa akhira da'wana anilhamdulillahirrabbilalmein.